So Nick, what are learning stories? Hmm. Well, there's stories about learning. Poetic. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? So eloquent sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you know, I know it's more than that. But I mean, learning stories are, and I use this word loosely, but like an assessment approach to, in the form of observation and documentation. And, you know, but what differentiates it is that then the observer or the educator in this case, then takes the, what they've been observing and jotting down in terms of notes and they translate it into a story. Now, ideally, from what I've learned about learning stories and the training that I've gone through, is ideally you would be making these learning stories to your subject. And so in this case, to the child. You know, um, let's, let's take, for example, that, you know, you're, you're a toddler, Mike, and you're in my class. And I've watched, you know, I've watched you one in, in my toddler observation. You know, I, I try to see how, how does the, uh, the gait of a child move, you know, their gait their, when they're walking, their hips, their waist. Um, what does that tell me about their core development? Where should they be at their core development? You know, how are they sitting? All these sort of observations. Now, if I'm taking notes about this and I'm like, all right, Mike's like sitting like crisscross applesauce. He's not W sitting. It must mean he has a pretty strong core. Okay. I wonder if his strong core will allow him to two foot jump. So I'm going to keep that in mind and Lo and behold, one day you two foot jump and I see it in your face and you look so proud. I might be like, Mike, dear Mike, I've watched you try to two foot hop. Sometimes you would stand on one foot and reach with another and you would fall down. That's okay. You kept trying and trying. And then one day you launched yourself off of the stump and landed safely. And then, you know, just kind of go through the, the elements of the learning stories. So what you're saying is it's a, it's a story that through assessment and you can actually assess through play. Exactly. I think so. And I think it actually encourages educators to see that assessment of play through a wider uh, lens, right? Rather than, um, than some formats that encourage educators to see it through a check the box approach. And it doesn't encapsulate all the, of how all these uh, learning domains are connected with one another. So how do you think in your experience um, writing learning stories to, to parents or caregivers, how do you think learning stories have given them um, or have given play a new perspective? Well, I think it's more, um, I think for the adults reading the learning stories, the other adults in children's lives, I think for them, it, when it's in story format, I think they're more open to hearing the, the strong science and the reasoning behind play. You know, there, it, I think we, we soften the idea of play through the story. And then at the end, you know, when the, when we ask, when this, or according to the structure of learning stories, when you ask a, a, a provocative question, then I think it gets, the adult to think like, oh, whoa, wait, that, that two-footed jumping that Mike was doing is good for his core development, which means it might help him sit better later on in school, and maybe he won't be as, like, tired just trying to support himself up, you know, having, and just taking something 
seemingly small and insignificant, like core development and, and really extrapolating it into these bigger concepts. It, so I think all to say it helps families see the bigger picture of play. So what I'm hearing is a lot of strengths, a lot of positives. So can I, is it fair to say that learning series is a strength-based approach to assessment? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I mean, I have used it to call out areas of growth, which is, you know, a nicer way of saying things to work on or, you know, or our quote unquote traditionally thought of weaknesses. But, um, you know, I, but I, I, yeah, I would say that it, you know, again, it would be like, Mike, you were pushing this friend, but then you learned the word stop I, or the word stop. I don't like that. So it can take something negative and then clarify the intention of the behavior, right? of what is perceived as negative. So really, I think it helps us. It can actually, I think when I'm saying this, maybe it, it helps us reframe behaviors in a different light um, and therefore become strength-based. So tell me about how you have you use learning stories and just documentation in general to um, to connect with children, to families, to the community. Do you, do you have any examples or a story you'd like to share? Um, one of your favorite documentations? Oh, trying to think off. Uh, I mean, I've, you know, I mean, obviously over the, the, I think the decade that I've since been, since I've learned learning stories, I've written a lot of them. Um, the one that stands out the most in my mind that I did that I really liked, it was almost like a Tarantino movie. Of like a learning story, because um, I saw three different things happening in play with different groups of kids, toddlers, but they were all connected. And so the whole thing that connected was them playing in mud. And so I said, you know, I said, dear so and so, over here you were doing this in the mud. This is what it meant. Over here, uh, you found a clump of mud, and I told and I talked to you about how clump of dirt is my last name in Spanish, Terrones. Right, a clump of dirt, a room. and and so you know, so there was some uh, culture and language, uh, different language going on in one section. There was another part where kids are, you know, I don't really like these sort of labels, but doing STEM kind of things, um, you know, putting up sticks into the mud, figuring out the leverage of that. And this other one, there was a sensory play going on. So that was my favorite was writing about how mud satisfied these three big concepts. And within those three big concepts, there was all these subplots. Um, you know, kids ask me, well, what does my name mean? How, why did my family name me this? Like, I don't know. Those are big. <laughs> Go ask your family those questions. But, you know, there was definitely a lot of, um, that was my favorite was just taking one big experience and, and being able to pull out these various threads. And then, um, and I know we'll talk about it in an interview, but using a learning story with a colleague for something that bothered me, and rather than coming at them with, you know, my sort of bothered emotions, but maybe uh, helping me find out what their intention was by writing a learning story, by just stating what I observed, what I wanted to know what it meant, maybe what I, what I felt it meant. And then asking some other questions and then thinking about some next steps. 
Um, and then other times in terms of family engagement with the learning story, I've written some pretty uh, ludicrous things into the learning story to see if they were actually reading. And so then they would, you know, read it and uh, come and be like, hey, what did you mean you were going to put a harness on the kids and like dip them in the canal or something? Like, I just put that in there to see if you were reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're, we're, so just to clarify, you weren't serious, right? In case CPS comes knocking on our door. <laughs> nope, never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about learning stories because we are hosting the, the third annual learning stories this spring, and it's going to be virtual. And you're one of the presenters. You're presenting on Tuesday, May 18th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And the title. All right, let me write that down. And <laughs> your your workshop is called Sensational Storytelling: Redefining Learning Outcomes. Can you tell us a little bit about your workshop and what what we can expect from that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think when I was thinking about what is um, overall what I'm trying to get at with that idea is encouraging people to find their inner storytelling. Because a lot of times um, I've had colleagues come in, come up to me and be like, how do you tell a story? How do you tell a story? And the easiest way I've gotten people into learning stories is I did the typing for them because that sometimes seems to be the, the overwhelming piece. Because the mind doesn't always catch up with your fingers, right? We all have, we're all at different places with our typing skills. Um, and I think sometimes that can kind of like when a toddler's learning to speak and their mind and their mouth aren't at the same speed. And so you get a lot of frustration. I see that when it comes to writing with some adults. Um, and so I've just had, I believe everybody has a deep capacity to tell a story. So what are the ways that we, uh, that I'm hoping to bring out in my presentation, what are some elements that make, you know, sensationalized storytelling? What are some things that we can, it's almost maybe kind of a writer's workshop, but also thinking about the ways you can, again, use it to, um, to clarify a colleague or co-worker's intentions, um, how to, how to connect all those, uh, those little things that happen in, core development, like with that uh, example again. Um, and so, you know, really, I think the idea is to draw families into an engaging story and then hit them, hit them with the, uh, with the brain science behind it. And so I hope to kind of get all those into it. And uh, what I like most about your description, because you have a lot of provocations and questions in it, but the last one that you posed is, we'll encourage each other to find, explore, and deepen our inner orator, as well as investigate how learning stories can disrupt the value of white supremacy prevalent in many of our curricula. So yeah. Yeah, and part of that is that, um, again, that storytelling capacity, right? Like, that's a, a, a very strong and rich component of a lot of cultures, and in particular, within the United States, within cultures of uh, uh, communities of color. And, you know, thinking about how we can take the idea of measurable learning outcomes and all this quantitative 
uh, data and and desires and how can we make it more qualitative and more holistic and find other avenues for literacy development like storytelling. So coming up after this break, we got Karen. So who is Karen to you and, and why are we about to interview her? Yeah, Karen is a um, she's an old uh, Hilltop alum. We crossed paths about seven, eight years ago. And um, yeah, I'm excited to reconnect with her. And for me, you know, I never crossed paths with Karen, um, but her name precedes me. You know, it definitely came with some gold stars next to it. And I know she's helped form a lot of the thinking here in still has really strong connections you know she put me on to the book the place that think teachers roles in children's play by elizabeth jones and gretchen reynolds um you know she's she's working in a school down in mexico and um you know she's just she's just an awesome woman next of color so i'm i'm excited to be able to participate in this conversation with her coming up All right, y'all. So everyone knows that child care is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there. Yet, we are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love, self-care, and also fine tune your skills and grow more in depth? That's where we come in. These NAPCasts are designed to help you learn on the go. Hear another perspective spark debate <laughs> heck even agree with us but honestly remind you that you're not alone we live in a complex world so allow us to challenge your perspective so are your headphones in did you turn the volume up all right now good let's get it Hello, everybody. Welcome to NAPCAST. NAPCAST put on by Hilltop Children's Center in Seattle, Washington, on the traditional land of the Duwamish tribe. Uh, I am one of your your hosts, Nick Taronis. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm joined by... Mike Brown. Pronouns he, him. Uh, The dreads, I just washed my dreads this morning, so I'm feeling super clean and nice and then the first thing the kids did was jump straight into it so lucky me <laughs> yep it's kind of like when you wear like white shoes right you gotta and the kids are gonna step on your shoes <laughs> those are fighting words in the hood like you don't have <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know right? <laughs> so who do we have with us today mike we got karen karen on the line karen you can do a much better job explaining who you are, where you come from. Well, we are just blessed and happy. Once again, we're doing like this memory lane, reaching out to everybody from, from past Hilltop people. Um, and you are our next guest. So hi, Karen. Welcome. Hello. I'm really happy to be here. I'm Karen Bruda, uh, she, her pronouns. And I had some time at Hilltop back in 2014. Um, just, uh, it was an amazing year of my life. 
Um, but really, I've been in the field of early childhood education since I was a teenager. Um, so it's been my whole life, my entire career. And um, I've had a lot of shifts and turns, uh, education-wise, employment-wise. I keep coming back to uh, a lot of the things that I was exposed to and learned about at Hilltop, whether it was Reggio Emilia approach or constructivism, values, and um, and that's where I um, really like to work from, those, those areas of the field. And where, uh, where do you join us from today? I and what am, do you do now? I am here in sunny Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Um, although I tell you, I do, I greatly miss evergreen trees and cool weather and wearing a hat. Um, I look forward to coming back every summer when it's uh, feels like 120 degrees here with 100% humidity. So um, Washington has become my escape um, during those couple months. And I am a, a, they call it a kinder two teacher here. Uh, the children are ages four and five. And I'm the lead educator uh, for that classroom at the American School of Puerto Vallarta. So I, can you? Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> now silence. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your school? Like, does it, um, does it have a, a particular philosophy behind it? Who are those students you're serving? Just kind of some background of it. Sure. Uh, the school is small in the sense that there's one, one grade per class, but we go from age three to grade 12, which has been a really interesting experience to see how these children could potentially go from kinder one all the way through grade 12, all in one school. And, and so I'm in the kinder program, there's three grades, and we mostly follow the project approach with some inspiration of Reggio uh, sprinkled in. And at the same time, there's um, also this element of, of teaching strategies gold and um, um, needing to organize around those things. So trying to find a balance between those uh, uh, different focuses. And it's a community of, I would say it's a private school. So uh, people do need to be able to afford to send their children to the school. It's considered the top school um, in Puerto Vallarta um, because of the amount of resources we have and um, the level, the education of the teachers that come here and whatnot. So um, it's been a interesting experience between there's the American teachers or Canadians, depending on where you come from. And then there's the, uh, the locals, the Mexicanas, uh, that teacher as well. So it's a blend of cultures. All right. Um, so we're we're talking today. We wanted to chat with you today around learning stories. So we have the Learning Stories Conference coming up that's being hosted by us over here. And it's going to be an amazing program. We have over 30 different workshops from individuals in Hawaii and Toronto, Canada, um, and Ireland. So really this global approach and the theme of that is called Responsiveness in the Times of Injustices. 
Unfortunately, that rings true um, in 2020, 2021. And uh, we just wanted to, to pick your brain around learning stories and your familiarity around it. Um, and just kind of a couple questions, you know, assuming you're down for it. Oh, sure. I, uh, I love learning stories. Absolutely. I'd love to talk about them. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, thinking like in our fourth episode of, of the NAPCAST, we had talked about the multitude of roles that we take as educators. And, and Karen, just before, you know, we, we jumped, uh, started recording this, you, you were telling me how you had worn lots of hats before. And I'm learning that now as a new director as well. You know, one of those roles that I think often goes overlooked is how our roles as, uh, we take as an educator influences how we are with one another you know, as colleague to colleague. So, you know, it's important for us to think about how how do our roles teach, inspire, and influence each other in the field when we're in the classroom working side by side or when we're with families. And so taking, you know, this learning stories and as our launching point and our focus, um, I guess I'll, I'm, I'm going to ask you sort of like a list of questions, but I'll start with, you know, what's your familiarity with learning stories or other forms of documentation as curriculum? I uh, wasn't aware of learning stories before I came to Hilltop in 2014. And I immediately connected with it because I feel like I appreciate storytelling. Uh, I, I am fond of using uh, descriptive language to uh, um, really um, express uh, how something is in writing. And so I really enjoyed the experience of writing learning stories and uh, just in knowing about our, our meeting, I, I took some time and I started looking back at the learning stories I, I had written before and, and definitely feel like it gave me a interesting window into the different roles I played as I've written those stories, as you mentioned and, roles. Yeah. What did, what did those uh, learning stories look like for you when you were at Hilltop? Uh, I was interested, introduced to kind of um, different sections. It had the story, uh, what it means. Uh, I think the next one was like next steps. And then at the end, there was the questions um, that we would put out to the families or uh, maybe to a, a colleague, depending on who the audience was. Hmm. And how... Now, when you were looking at it from, like, I guess, essentially seven years ago, like, how would you say um, that, like, the practice of learning stories or doing a, uh, a storytelling form of curriculum, how has that, you know, played in your growth in this field? I I definitely think it helped me with my language of practice, um, formulating uh uh, how I could communicate about what I'm seeing and how that connected to uh, the things that inspire me as an educator, my values. I could see that coming forth in my writing. I, I saw that sometimes I, I play an active role in the story and other times I'm, I'm just the scribe. I'm just the observer. So I was interested to see that, you know, I'm in any moment I'm, I'm, I'm actively making a choice about whether or not this is a moment that I want to contribute to what's happening in front of me, or if it's a moment where I, I should stay back and allow it to unfold naturally. 
Um, those are some interesting observations I feel like I saw. Yeah. And yeah, I like how, you know, in the classroom and out of school, we have all these like sort of systems of, of roles that we can take. And I like how you're describing it within just a written piece of documentation. You know, am I, am I just the scribe? Am I just taking down notes like a running record or am I mentally taking those notes, but I'm going to describe a story for a particular reason? Um, you know, how, how would you say that like those roles within documentation or in learning stories has allowed you to explore beyond your traditional role of a teacher? Uh, I think especially as I'm, I've came to this school or uh, a couple past schools since Hilltop, um, it's felt for me, it's been, I think, a, a safe avenue for which I could communicate my values or promote. Like I'm, I'm a promoter of, of, of practices that I think, um, my perspective anyway, are um, ideal or um, beneficial for children. So through my learning story, I'm able to um, present uh, a certain way of being with children uh, to my colleagues and engage them in that way without, and I, I feel like I've had to work on this and not just to come in and say like, you know, I think you're doing this wrong, but to tell my story and that they could read that story and then we can discuss it and see what that means and, and how that what they feel from that and potentially how we might grow from that together. I want to go back to what you just said about being the two kind of the dual roles that you reflected on in your learning stories, that active participant and then being an observer. Can you tell us more about what, or how or when did, when, how do you decide when to be that active participant? Or when do you decide to just kind of take that step back? Because I think that's a, you know, we, we rush, especially as new educators, uh, we rush to, oh, jump in and be that active participant. When in, sometimes that can stop the growth of, of what's happening. So can you just explain a little bit about that? Um, You know, I, I don't, it's it happens such in the moment. It's 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 hard to to know why. Um, but as I read the learning stories, I think some a common element I saw was that there was a particular discussion. I heard a discussion happening and a, and a, and a dialogue amongst children about an idea that I felt like I could help extend. Um, versus if it was a play experience and their own imagined. Um, creativity, I wanted to allow them to keep going. Um, but like one learning story that, that I had completely forgotten about from my days at Hilltop was the children were talking about time and forever and what it, what it means to, to have time and, um, and teamwork and how we can ex make time go by faster. And so I felt like as an adult, I had a, uh, I had a, not a responsibility, but I had the ability to plant some seeds or to ask a few questions to help extend their thinking and then to come back later and reflect with them and continue extending even more. So um, I just saw an opportunity and I, I grasped it. We'll be right back. 
Hilltop Children's Center is a high-quality preschool, after-school program, and Professional Development Institute of Early Learning and Inquiry, serving the Seattle community since 1971. Together, we are working with the next generation of inventors, leaders, thinkers, artists, and social activists. For more information on our professional development and community outreach, including workshops, presentations, blogs, coaching and consulting, and of course, this NAPCAST, please visit www.hilltopcc.org. So just thinking back years ago, um, when I first got introduced to documentation, I was given this chart in my class, and the chart was all around the key elements of storytelling. And I still reference that today when I'm reading learning stories or other forms of just pedagogical narration. And it consists of being cognizant of who's involved. You know, it's a story being written for both the narrator, narrator and the listener, um, what was the child's response? How did they participate, if they did? Also thinking about what was the social, political, cultural context surrounding this particular moment in time. Was this a controlled experiment? Or was this emergent? <laughs> what exactly is the purpose of this story? And then two things I've really worked to scaffold in since... You know, I actually got that chart when I was in business class, which ironically, um, ironically enough, which and then I then tailored it to ECE. But two other things that I do scaffold in is how does this culturally sustain or linguistically sustain the child's home language and lived experience? And then the last one is discourse style. So what I might write for the child, I might alter differently if I was presenting at a conference or I might change it slightly if I was, you know, talking to Mayor Durkin or, or the, the mayor in city of Seattle. Um, so my question to you is, when you're writing these learning stories or personal narratives, is there a particular thing you try to draw attention to? Um, when you read others, do you feel as if there's something people tend to miss or need to be mindful of when they're writing? Uh, it's interesting that you reference uh, papers that you refer back to because I have a couple of those. I have a couple that I've I've carried with me this paper copy, and I think just finally last year I I got it into electronic form. Was one was about telling good stories, and it it, it kind of outlined some steps, and the other one was the thinking lens, and both of those just were transformational for me, and so I certainly consider all those elements about who's involved and the purpose. Um, but for me, I think that what I always tend to really want to emphasize is just the richness of the experience that really I'm presenting that the work that children are doing is just interesting and so valuable. And so I, I, I loved when telling the story just the language, the descriptive language that I use and, and how I um, describe that out. I want others to be able to look at that and think, wow, um, this is so meaningful, the work that children are doing. Um, but beyond that, uh, a section, I think beyond the story, the, the what it means section was a section that I always enjoyed, kind of the, the analyzation um, of the story. And I think that comes from, you know, before I came to Hilltop, I was uh, tr 
traditionally trained um, uh, child development, teaching strategies, gold, almost to the point of, of, of like I was looking and seeing numbers. Like I would look in children and I would see numbers that related to the teaching strategies, gold checkpoints. Um, but since those days, I feel like I've, I've, I've kind of tried to find a marriage between the two. And so in the what it means section, I think it's, I feel like it's important to still um, include elements of child development to um, reflect that we, at least for me, I'm, I'm capable of seeing uh, children developing theories and exploring and but there's also elements of child development and that I can use language that refers to fine motor development, focusing attention. Um, and so as I've seen other people writing, um, I've kind of seen that there's been a lack of maybe that not academic language, but including some of those things I think that are important to understand as children grow and learn. But then also that I see the opposite, that it's just so child development focused that we lose the hu humanity of the, the experience. So I think, I think it's important to find a balance between those two, because um, I think both are equally important. Yeah, I, that's something that I, I've always tried to implore on people. And it's so great to hear you explain that in such a lovely way, because it's, you know, one, that humanity piece is. You know, when a, when a family receives either a physical copy or digital copy of like a learning story or even just something you've written up about their play, you know, it, it shows them like, whoa, you're really looking at my child, right? You're not just having them in a kid corral to keep them safe, but you're observing them and you're taking notes and diligently writing about their experience. And I mean, there's been a number of times when I've had children who went through uh, my raindrop class as a toddler and they still have their binders and they're like 13, 15 years old. And they're like, you know, looking through these books and, you know, and I think that humanity piece that when we're able to hand back something an experience, right. In a tangible form, it becomes something so ingrained in our spirits and satisfying that I think it does turn that, um, it kind of turns the TSG on its head, the teaching strategy gold, because I'm right there with you. You know, I, I've seen, um, I've seen teachers like, Oh, yep, there's that. I'm going to check that off of the box and log that into TSG. And it's like, well, let's go further into it. Cause if we think about that experience, when I always describe to people, like just imagine being that young child on your caregiver, your family's lap, and they're reading a story back to you about you. And it's in a written way. You know, what does that do to your your own paradigm and uh, of how you see yourself as a learner? I uh, uh, the learning stories, and today I I, I create portfolios in a, in a similar way that I, a hilltop in the sense that all the children have binders. Um, I I it's really important to me that they have access to them. And that's another element that I feel like I'm promoting is that children need to have access to their memories and have opportunities to reflect. And um, I'm kind of in a situation where I'm trying to help change some thinking around that where the binders are up here and the children don't see them. And, 
And so, but in my classroom, the children pull them out every day and flip through them and they're remarking. And um, it just inspires me to keep going in this direction and to continue uh, writing for them. Um, you mentioned marriage and we're not going to get go down that road, but <laughs> we're going to... I, I, I want to talk about the marriage between TSG and learning stories. And then for you, Nick, um, the marriage between high scope and learning stories. Can you tell me more about how they actually might complement each other? Because uh, a, well, yeah, yeah. a lot of times I think people pit them against each other or say this is one additional thing that I need to do. Well, so, yeah, just to clarify, high scope is like your curriculum piece. And then TSG is your, how you, the data input basically. And so you can use high, high scope to, um, to input information into teacher, teaching strategy goals. It's like a data collection. But yeah, go, go ahead first, Karen. Well, I think teaching strategy goals is trying to take over the world. Um, but, uh, I, I am fortunate that I'm using it in the most basic way possible right now. Um, that I am, afforded the freedom to where that I write about the children throughout the quarter in their books and um, document through photos. And then I can use my experience as an educator to, to look at those stories and then check off what I see. Um, but I have been in the position where it was, I needed to have, I was asked to have two pieces of documentation for every objective. And um, it became more of that was my focus. And, it, and I definitely think it would have felt overwhelming to um, have to do, to, to need to do a story. I wouldn't have been able to even contemplate what that would mean. Like to be able to connect with what a learning story is about um, it would just be too much. But since I've gotten to the other side of that, I think the conversation is more for programs to understand like, like, like the directors and for the funders to understand what we're asking of teachers and, and, and what, and to really ask teachers what they value about being a teacher. Uh, checking off boxes is not the value I think that most teachers go into education for. And so, but now that I'm on the other side, I know that I can write a learning story and meet those objectives at the same time because my school has given me the freedom to pursue documentation in that way. Um, so I think that for me, that's where it needs to, the changes need to happen is from the um, organizational level. Um, so teachers can feel the freedom to explore these approaches. Yeah, and that's something that I'm, you know, figuring out with with what is like a curriculum like high scope and learning, like I'm now learning, like, oh, it's really just a skeleton and the centers and uh, and directors and teachers, they can put the muscle into it of, of how they want it to move and look, right? So it's really an open-ended skeleton. But I think when you have it paired with something with uh, data collection points, like teaching strategy gold, it does become oriented to this is what you need to do rather than what would you like to do? And I think you're right. It needs to be opened up. And when we opened it up and it does feel a little bit more generalized for some people, that's where, like, I think what you're saying, Karen, is as directors and the leadership, all we need to help empower the educators to find the language of justification of what they're doing. 
Um, you know, I, I believe in my capabilities as an educator to take one learning story and pull like seven things from different, um, different developmental domains. Like one example I always use with Mike on our, um, Napcast is, you know, kicking a ball is good for literacy because of how it strengthens, strengthens eye muscles that are needed for tracking. Tracking in those eye muscles are needed for reading a sentence on a, you know, on a piece of paper. So, you know, helping teachers figure out those nuanced avenues of how a gross motor skill can also be behavior uh, or uh, self-regulation and how it could be, you know, something about um, dramatic play and really just testing out all these themes. Because if we're saying this is a whole child approach, then that means all of these things are integrated into one action that we see. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that, um, unfortunately, like, uh, I've been in a situation where I was told that I had too many domains checked for that particular anecdote. Um, and, and that's frustrating. <laughs> that's frustrating when, when I am confident, like you said, I'm confident in my experience in education and, and, uh, what I see, um, happening for the children. So yes, I'm all for opening it up and allowing more flexibility for how um, we approach our practices. Mm -hmm. So there's no one way to write a learning story. And you mentioned earlier um, four parts that you try to include. Can you mention them again for us? Well, that was, that was the format I was uh, introduced to, is starting with the story, what happens, um, and then um, from there, reflecting on it with what it means. And certainly the headings could have different um, form, formats. And then from there would be kind of next steps, kind of where do we go from here? And then um, re the reflective questions from there where I would try and um, involve the families and to open up the dialogue around this. Yeah, I, I really like those provocations because it's helping the the reader make the connections um, and connect the dots between learning and lifelong success and what's happening in the story. And those reflection questions that the readers reflect on are, are gold, right? Not to bite off of CSG, but they're gold. And so can you just share uh, a question or two that you have asked in your learning stories or that you would ask? And when you ask these questions, what are you hoping to get out of these reflection questions for both yourself and for the reader? Uh, yes. Uh, so I think that I have a general question. And certainly when I was learning learning stories, I was given some examples that were great that I would readily use. Uh, I think one that I saw coming up several times was asking parents if they have any ideas for how we might build on the experience. And for me, I think I've always, I have this kind of common theme where I'm hoping to invite families into the planning process uh, to kind of, and to give them some agency or to make them feel like they potentially have experience and knowledge that would um, contribute to their child's learning experience. And then uh, to be more specific, I had a story about risk. Um, I, in the title, I'm, I'm, I love, I always love creating a good title. 
Um, and so the title was Acceptable Risk with a question mark. And, and so the question I kind of was asking for the parents, um, but I think also for my team as well was kind of what kind of physical activities do you permit at home? Um, and then also I, I asked, I wanted to ask them and for them to reflect on this idea of, of do they ever or do they often have to check in with themselves about the risk of safety versus the benefit of learning something new? And just kind of that pull and pull where my initial instinct in the story was probably was to say stop, but I was able to um, look at the situation and consider that I always ask myself the question like, well, what if? Like, well, well, what if I let them do this? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? And I determined that they could get hit in the eye. Um, and so I'm like, you guys need safety goggles. And then, and then they went on their merry way. Um, but I think I was really hoping to start a conversation amongst adult caregivers about how our own personal perceptions um, can either limit or promote learning for children. Uh, you know, it, as you were saying that, I was reflecting on, you know, in the beginning of this, I had mentioned, you know, how, how does it influence how we are with each other as colleagues and co-teachers? Um, and as you were talking about uh, your this last, um, the meaning making and the questions that you asked, I had used the lear a learning story to ask a question of a white teacher about their intentions of, you know, it was right when basically all the buzzwords were becoming super buzzy and everything was being given a label to put, to apply a social justice lens on and, and reasonably so for sure. And I often have, I'm often a questioning person as to why people are doing things. And, and you know, is this going to be a sustainable thing that you're going to, if you're going to say it, are you going to keep doing it, you know, down the road? And so this white colleague and teacher whom I respect and love went and put in front of our, um, at a hilltop at the time, uh, the, one of the windows that a poster said, you are on indigenous land. And I'm like, okay, that, that's great. You know, in my, my personal opinion of that was like, is that your responsibility as a white woman to be doing? And so, you know, rather than, and, and we have a good relationship and I think I could have had a conversation, but I was, um, I think too fueled up on maybe a little bit of self-righteousness and a little bit of like just being bothered by the idea. But I had to ask myself, why am I bothered by this? And it was like, well, why don't I ask some questions? And so I wrote her specifically a learning story to like, and, and it helped me really. And I would encourage, you know, everybody to do this with their co-teachers and colleagues when you are wondering what's going on, because me putting it down on typing it out first, you know, I might've typed some things I wouldn't say. And I was like, Oh no, if I don't want to say that I can take that back. Right. So you can kind of get some feelings out first. And, and, and then she wrote back, and then so I use that um, qu like questions or what's your voice behind this to this experience? And she answered the questions and it, and it like it it was this cool uh, process of being able to exchange things. And so she kind of gave me back like a, a, a response learning story in a way. And I had intended to follow back with her and just never did. But, I, you know, I think it's an interesting way of how, you know, I think we all run into those colleagues. 
that where you want to say something, but also you don't want to like hurt their feelings, or maybe you don't know how to approach an issue. And so using the learning story with colleague, uh, that colleague at that time, like really helped me gain an understanding of it. So I was, you know, I'm wondering, like, how do you think that would play out in your sort of situation at the school you're at? We'll be right back. Hey, it's Mike. You know, the guy you spent a good 20 minutes just listening to. Nick and I love doing these. But do you know what's more fun? Doing these in person. And that's exactly what we've started to do. We've hit the road. Well, kind of, sort of. Because, you know, (laughs) COVID's still a thing. But we are now doing these workshops with organizations being featured at conferences, and having these conversations with college students, high schoolers, and middle schoolers. And we'd love to come hang out with you next. If you want to bring us, you already know what to do. And that's drop us an email at institute at hilltopcc.org. Oh, I, 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 I like the idea. I like the idea. It would be very new. It'd be a very new uh, thing for sure. And I think that I, I do need to discover um, avenues for communication in a way that um, um, doesn't feel like I'm pointing fingers or you know putting anyone on the spot. Because um, we, we don't have a lot of time for that. Like, let's just sit down, I need to talk to you. And so if I, I did write a learning story, um, potentially I could, um, um, I could have a moment to really reflect on what it is I want to say, um, which helps. Um, but it, it, in general, it, it it might be a little bit, I would say it might be a little bit to this part of the spectrum to where I'm at so that I'm kind of, I'm kind of trying to meet, meet my colleagues a little bit here and um, learning stories is, is over here. Mm. Dang you, Nick, because that was my question. <laughs> I, oh, really? <laughs> I was thinking about um, just just around that. Have you ever written a learning stories for team members? But also, have you ever written a learning story for yourself? Um, a learning story. I I I write I write things at times. Uh, I wouldn't call it a learning story, but I have had periods of my life where I journal and and I I think that. But I didn't do that until after I did learning stories. I feel like as I've gotten older, I've been able to articulate better and uh, f- connect with experience, my experiences um, and take different perspectives. And so. Um, the writing that I do for myself is, is, um, reflective of, I think, of how I've written learning stories for sure. And when you write these, uh, learning stories for, for your families, um, can you talk to us about some of the responses you've gotten from them? Uh, I, I think, and I actually, uh, looking back, I had actually copied and pasted like from emails, some of my responses. So I was really, uh, <laughs> I was really excited to uh, see some of those things when I look back just uh, the other day. And I think 
um, the common element was surprise because they could see their children were talking about things that they didn't realize that mattered to their child or um, experience that they had. The, chi the child was pulling from their past experience to contribute to the conversation in a relevant way. And um, for example, we were, when we were talking about time, the children were talking about how they had to wait for things. And um, a child was talking about waiting for their toys to come from their grandparents' house. And this was something that had happened the past summer. And, but it was still something that had such an impact for that child um, that it was there ready for them to, um, to, to pull from in that experience and to contribute to our collective knowledge. And um, yeah, some aha moments for parents um, in that sense. Speaking of aha moments, what about as you, I know you were talking and reflecting on a couple of the learning surveys you read in the past. What about your growth, um, whether that's writing, whether that's your growth as an educator? What have you learned um, about yourself and about your writing uh, over the years? I, I, I really, I think that the writing process for me has, has shown me that, that I have, I have this sense of wonder inside of me and that that is, is, is pretty much the magic ingredient that um, compels me in the work that I do that, and that my experience writing learning stories really solidified that, that when I, when I am seeing something happening, I am, I am, I'm coming from a place of, of interest and wonder and, and that, and that opens me up, that opens me up to, uh, to seeing, seeing the experience from different ways. Cause I'm just curious to know more about what's happening. And what would Karen in 2021 advice be to Karen back in 2014 as she's getting ready to, to embark on this journey? Um, I'd probably uh, maybe tell myself not to take things so seriously. I was, I was pretty like, like, I wanted to go hardcore into, uh, um, I guess, into Reggio and into those practices. And um, it kind of left me, um, I think, blind to seeing that everybody is kind of going through a learning process themselves. I, I was more judgmental, I would say. Um, I've matured past that in, order, in my ability to um, collaborate with others and be a productive member of a team. Um, and so, yeah, looking back, I think just to have a little bit more, have more understanding um, for the people that I'm working with, that, um, that there's other perspectives and experiences there and that I can learn from them. And would the advice you have for yourself be the same advice that you would give those who are, I guess, starting out in, in writing learning stories for the first time today? Um, yes, definitely. There's some pieces to that. I think that of course my advice comes from a place of, of like a personal experience, my upbringing, um, past traumas, and it's all kind of came to a point ahead, um, in 2014 and the decisions I've made. But I think as a, 
I think a piece of that is, is just to be open is that part is to, to kind of be open to learning. And, and that's kind of what I, I tried to do when I went to Hilltop was just uh, take it all in and to um, try and really connect with the, the wonder of it all. Cause it was so, especially when you're coming from, something that was so restrictive. I was like, I went from something that was so restrictive and I was just like um, diving in head first and, and hitting the ground running when really I, I needed to slow down and, um, and take the time to uh, learn and reflect more. Um, yeah, I definitely identify with, a lot of what you just said and you know i really um have definitely been at fault when the past my own internal passion burns so bright that it blinds other people and even my own self right like and and what i'm trying to explain or display or model becomes so un um unattainable to other people because it's so strong and it's like whoa that eventually you have to learn how to quell your own, your own passion a little bit. And, and, you know, and I think though that it's, it's, it's a good thing to, to recognize that and to have that, but you know, it's, it's like that Spider-Man quote where it's like, you know, all that power comes with the responsibility. And a lot of the times the, the responsibility of us as an educator is to listen. That's like our biggest responsibility, right? To listen and to reflect. And, you know, I was kind of just thinking about um, what I was saying earlier about thinking, you know, what is it like when someone or what is it like for a child when someone is reflecting a lovely story about who they are to them? And, you know, I would I would encourage everybody to look up or just go Google uh, brain science and storytelling. Lots of cool information on there. And one of the things that I uh, was learning about was, you know, that within storytelling, when we listen to a good story and we become engaged, oxytocin is released in our brain. And that oxytocin is a chemical that assists in empathy building and social interaction. And it relaxes us, right? So when we're thinking about um, alternative views to literacy and literacy acquisition, maybe oral storytelling over written word or even using learning stories can be a way to uh to really build up literacy development um you know and it, i i see you know learning stories and storytelling as a form of document uh as a form of documentation it's a great way for children to construct their uh their identity of themselves to reflect reflect back the way that families uh cultural ways are being honored and sustained in the learning environment you know, and to really build those strong family bonds. And as I was alluding to, it can be an uh, actionable step in decolonizing education, one of those big buzzwords, you know, and I think that is a whole other conversation we can have. But I think when we take learning stories, um, this authentic approach to setting and meeting learning outcomes, rather than checking a box, or, you know, or inputting data, then we do get this holistic approach when we talk about the whole child. You know, a lot of our things we say is a lot of lip service and a lot of the action in early childhood education don't like back that up. Um, so I guess like, you know, one question I would have for you, Karen, is 
where do you see room for innovation in learning stories? Like, what do you think? How do you think learn, uh, learning stories could be adapted? Well, I certainly, I, I hadn't, just in this conversation, I hadn't considered writing a learning story to a colleague or to um, a funder or things like that. So that that was kind of a, a moment for me and uh, seeing the possibilities. I, as we talk about um, storytelling, I have found myself in a position here where um, I'm working with students that don't necessarily understand when I'm talking to them. Um, English is not their first language, and it's and I've I've had to adapt, completely adapt how I teach, and and so I have become more of this storyteller with with I present images and body language, and 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 so I'm trying to engage them and captivate them in the story, and and so I've kind of while I do write. Um, I have found that I, I'm bringing the learning story to life because as we are discussing and moving through ideas, I need to break some of that barrier of language. And for me, that's been through props and um, again, my body language and my voice and my facial expressions and projecting images. And so it's become a big much more of a, a production um, that's that's physically um, present as opposed to um, orally written. Um, so that was just something that connected with me there. And and what you're inspiring me to think about, wish I, and I that I wish I would have done as a toddler teacher is act out those stories that you write about them. I think that's a great idea. You know, I think for taught like. Any toddler teachers out there listening to this, like write up a learning story, use it as a script. And uh, yeah, that would, yeah, I could just imagine me and Mike pretending to be a couple of toddlers and <laughs> acting out a story. And, you know, how do you, how do you hope to continue to use the learning, the elements of learning stories? Um, I, I, I hope to, coming back to just that richness, the, the values that, um, that I see uh, as far as what children are experiencing that from that I am still learning using liter learning stories and I'm using it in my documentation and um, in-depth project work that we do our project work that we do. Um, I would like to get back to that questions. I have, I've kind of, I've gone away from that questioning um, reflective questioning of the families and I'd, I'd like to get back to that. So for me, it's it's, it's about uh, going back to some of the things and reconnecting, um, and then trying to figure out how it fits with with the work I'm doing now. Every time I move into a new role or a different uh, position, different school, I have to rethink um, and and figure out how this practice fits or does it need to be adapted and. Um, now I'm feeling inspired to to see how I can bring back some of those things that I had lost touch with. And I guess kind of closing it out on like maybe a little bit of a personal note. I understand that you're you're a new parent and you have a new family member in your in your family. And you know, I was curious, you know, how will you share how will you share that story? with your newest family member in like 10 to 15 years and you know what, like, and when you share those stories back to them about, you know, joining your family, 
what what do you hope that they'll learn? I so I have a journal that I keep and I just write a little bit each day and I'm, I'm writing it to him. Um, uh, his, Miguel's first language is Spanish. And while we can communicate, it's not as, as fully as I would hope. And these are things that maybe wouldn't be natural to express to a 10 year old, uh, boy. Um, the things that I find marvelous and, um, want to remark about and the things that I see in him. And I, I hope that he can look back on that and, and, and kind of really see how much that we want to get to know who he is um, and that we are working to support him to get to know himself better. That, and that really that value. And I think that's a value that I bring to my teaching. And, and now that value underlies the decisions that we make every day, um, whether or not that's to inviting him to help cook or seeing that he likes crafts. So taking him to the craft store is just, it's just about really seeing who he is and his interests and, and supporting him with that. And I hope he remembers how much joy uh, we experienced together. I mean, in 10 years, he'll be 20. So maybe he might need a reminder of that, um, that we used to enjoy each other's company um, and that we were cool. But um, yeah, I, 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 and just so happy. And uh, I think that I, I want him to be able to look back on that and to uh, see um, the, the language that I use just really expresses that. So, yeah, I really, I think everything you said there encapsulates what we would want children to get out of their learning stories. And one of those things I think you said that really resonated with me and the purpose, I think. For learning stories is for children to get to know themselves better. I think you said that really wonderfully. Thank you. I wish we could end it there because that was beautiful. And I have one more question. <laughs> oh, it better be a good follow-up, Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a shameless plug because in our learning stories conference happening this spring 2021, in a couple of weeks actually, which is 30 workshops spread out over several days. I'm doing a workshop around a learning story that I wrote for this organization, uh, a learning story that I wrote around about Hilltop. So if you're listening, you can go out and register by visiting www.hilltopcc.com backslash conference. But what about, what, but getting off of that and going back to the actual question, right? <laughs> what would a NAPCAST, uh, about learning stories be if we didn't ask for a story. So do you have a story, Karen, that you remember fondly? And what were some of the lessons you learned about yourself and about the child? Well, I certainly have had had some good ones, but I think that I would like to share about the story that I'm I'm working on now. Um, because it, it's, it's, I'm so, I'm so excited about it and, um, I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, so the story really revolves around our relationship with birds and I'm, we're fortunate to have this beautiful campus and it, it, it it's on the other side of our campus is some mangroves and we get this huge variety of birds and, and I, started this provocation for the children about birds and we've been talking about birds 
And the story really kind of what's developing, I'm finding through our conversations is these children have this, these ideas about danger and protection and about birds and the lives that they lead. And, and I'm sorry, I can't tell the full story, but what I'm learning is that, that if I'm patient enough and that I, I give us time to keep coming back to these ideas, because we, we were talking about it for a couple weeks and having different experiences, walking around campus, talking about it, that I can start to see these connections that the children are making in their, their, in the, what they're saying. And, and that really there's an opportunity, I think, for the children to take that connection with birds and turn it around on ourselves about, um, who's protect, who protects us and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm really excited for this story to see where it goes. Um, because the children are very serious about this. They have this capacity for thinking deeply and caring deeply about these birds and their safety and whether or not they're thinking that the bird's going to get eaten by a lion, which we don't have, we have, um, or a snake, which is very real, that, that these topics really matter to them. And that um, I'm excited to give them this opportunity to explore these ideas that they have. So that's just the story that we're working on now is, is um, our relationship with birds and how we can protect them. Um, and that, that's all I have for that story. Um, I'm just so excited to see where it goes. Well, Karen, I can't thank you enough. Um, I know it's your spring break and we are making you work on it. <laughs> so I appreciate it. This isn't work at all. <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for your thoughtfulness, your reflections, your stories. Um, even in this time together, I have a new lens and some additional provocations percolating in my mind that I'm going to put on the stories and the pedagogical narrations that I write for colleagues, that I write for um, my organization that I write for children. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for your time, Karen. It was good seeing you. Good to see you too. And good to meet you, Mike. Absolutely. Take care.